Coming up on The Exam Room. Salt or fat? I was having a debate recently with someone about whether one or the other is more important for heart health. Your expert opinion as a cardiologist, should we be more concerned with one than another? So when you think about sodium, sodium is it's pretty controversial in some respects because I guess like many things, there's like a there's a sweet spot in the middle. And there's recent data out of heart failure literature. We always used to recommend low salt, low salt, low salt for our heart failure patients, particularly in the hospital, you know, so that they would retain less fluid and be less short of breath. But it turns out you it's not like limbo. You can go too low and you also could go too high. So there's a sweet spot in the middle. So like most things, it's kind of nuanced. Now, if you compare salt to fat, I'm assuming we're talking more about like saturated fat, the kinds of fat you would find in a coconut oil or palm oil, kind of junk food, vegan-y kind of foods. Through the Hegstead equation, we know that saturated fat uh, can increase LDL cholesterol in a pretty predictable way. Uh, and LDL cholesterol is necessary for the development of atherosclerosis, the number one killer. And that's, it seems like it's one of those like interesting academic arguments, but practically at the end of the day, you're going to want to keep your, your salt intake on the lower side. Um, and you're going to want to keep your saturated fat intake on the lower side. So you can have that win-win. Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for raising your health IQ with us coast to coast in the U.S. and in more than 150 countries. Hi to everyone listening in Middlebury, Vermont, Pahala, Hawaii, and Palembang, Indonesia. Wherever you are, we appreciate you helping to make the world a healthier place. This is episode 50 of season 6, number 446 overall. Salt and fat, both long thought to be the enemy of your heart, but both also stars of the standard American diet that takes center stage at virtually every meal. So today we're going to be taking a look at both and whether one is the bigger villain in the play that is your health. And our critic today is a well-respected cardiologist based in New York. He is the director of preventative cardiology at Montefiore Health Systems, Dr. Robert Osfeld. And the answer to that question of salt versus fat, it may not be as black and white as you might like, because there are a lot of things to consider there, just like a lot of things are taken into consideration for all of nutrition, science, and health. So today we're going to be painting with some shades of gray. Like, what is your overall diet like? Is it chock full of processed food that already has a lot of salt added to it? Well, if that's the case, you're probably going to want to skip adding any more salt at the table. But then back to the fat. Well, what type of fat? Well, today we're going to be talking about the not so surprising amount of fat that the typical person here in the U.S. eats every single day. It is a lot. 
But also beyond that, a closer look at whether that fat is saturated fat or monounsaturated fat, polyunsaturated or trans fats, and the difference that that makes, how your body interacts with them a little bit differently. And all of that honestly is just scratching the surface. So a lot to consider here as we get into our health debate, salt or fat, and which is the bigger concern for your health. And of course, Dr. Osfeld will be one of my special guests at the big exam room live and in-person event in New York City on July 12th. And so will this guy. It's your friend, Rip Esselstyn. Come get Plan Strong with me on July 12th in New York City. I'll be helping to celebrate an incredible 14 million downloads of the Exam Room Podcast with the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. My doctor friends, Neil Barnard and Robert Osfeld will also be there to make a toast to the most heart healthy night of your life. Lower blood pressure, lower cholesterol, lower the risk of heart disease or even reversing it. Plus foods and tips that will help get you to chart a new course to a healthier future. But to get there, you have to be there in New York City, the Big Apple. Don't wait, get your tickets today and I'll see you on July 12th. Congratulations, Chuck, and now let's all get Plant Strong together. Super pumped to get Plant Strong with Rip, and tickets are on sale now, so get yours today before prices go up, by the way. Prices go up on June 12th. The big night is July 12th, but ticket prices go up on June 12th, so lock your savings in now, pcrm.org slash events, or click that link in the episode notes. But right now, let's get a primer for the big night. Let's get heart strong with Dr. Robert Osfeld and look at salt and fat and which is the bigger villain for your health. Here's our conversation from this week's Exam Room Live. My friend, so good to see you again. Thanks for making the time. Well, Chuck, it is great to be here. It's great to be here with PCRM. I'm so excited about today. I'm super excited about the event in July. I'm I there is no way in the world we were ever going to do a big live and in person show in New York without having you on because after all Dr. Osfeld you are the guest that has the most views of any single episode ever in the history of the exam room and uh, if memory serves that episode had to do with a little something called erectile dysfunction so no surprise there that your wit your humor your knowledge carried that through for a fascinating subject well you're extremely generous and yeah it's definitely a topic that uh, gets a lot of a lot of interest and it dovetails really nicely of course with a healthier lifestyle because you know, as, as, as many who listen here know well, the healthier you eat, the healthier your lifestyle, it's great for you, of course, for dozens of reasons. And one of those reasons is erectile function. No question about it. And I actually would be would not be surprised if that comes up throughout the course of the, our conversation here today. So let's go ahead and open up the doctor's mailbag and just start taking questions from the exam roomies right out of the gate. And by the way, if there's a question you would like to ask our experts, go ahead, drop that in the comments or in the chat, and we will do our best to get you an answer on an upcoming episode here. So Dr. Osfeld, here is the question, uh, salt or fat? I was having a debate recently with someone 
uh, in my life about whether one or the other is more important for heart health. Your expert opinion as a cardiologist, should we be more concerned with one than another? Great question. I'm not aware of a randomized trial like pitting one against the other. So we'd have to extrapolate a little bit uh, to see, you know, when they go head to head, which one may have a worse or better outcome for you. So when you think about sodium, sodium is it's pretty controversial in some respects because I guess like many things, there's like a there's a sweet spot in the middle. And there's recent data out of heart failure literature. We always used to recommend low salt, low salt, low salt for our heart failure patients, particularly in the hospital, you know, so that they would retain less fluid and be less short of breath. But it turns out you it's not like limbo. You can go too low. Um, and you also could go too high. So there's a sweet spot in the middle. So like most things, it's kind of nuanced. So how do, um, and for someone without heart failure, you know, a concern would be if you have a lot of sodium, maybe that could push up blood pressure. And some people are particularly impacted by sodium in their diet when it comes to blood pressure. There's a little bit of data, a lot of sodium could impact negatively endothelial function. Uh, so how do I handle that with my patients? Um, so what I try to do is I encourage them, if I'm, I'm, if I'm forced to put a number on it, and I don't unequivocally know that there's a, a, a specifically right answer, but I will shoot for somewhere around less than two grams a day for the general uh, patient, uh, maybe two and a half. Um, but uh, the way I see it is if you're eating a whole food, plant-based diet, that's going to be naturally incredibly low in sodium. And so if you put in a teeny pinch uh, for flavor, um, I, I think that that's totally fine. That'll keep you well under that level. And I do think that there's sort of a, a sweet spot in the middle that's probably most optimal for people. Now, if you compare salt to fat, I mean, fat is a really broad term. It's kind of like carbs, you know, like you could have sugar cookies and those are the bad carbs, but you could have whole grains and fruit and those are good carbs. So it's broad. Uh, but from a fat perspective, I'm assuming we're talking more about like saturated fat. Um, you know, the kinds of fat you would find in a, in a, in a coconut oil or a corn or a, co or a palm oil. Um, a lot of kind of like, you know, kind of junk food, vegan-y kind of foods. Um, so if, if I had to guess, and this is really just a guess, I would guess that a similar amount of saturated fat, if you can equate it to a similar amount of salt, the saturated fat might be long-term worse for you. Why? Because through the Hegstead equation, we know that saturated fat uh, can increase LDL cholesterol in a pretty predictable way. Uh, and LDL cholesterol promotes, uh, is necessary for the development of atherosclerosis, the number one killer. So if I had to bet, I would bet that probably pound for pound, saturated fat would come out worse than salt. But a lot of either one is really not your friend and that's, it seems like it's one of those like interesting academic arguments, but practically at the end of the day, you're gonna to wanna to keep your, your salt intake on the lower side. 
um, and you're going to want to keep your saturated fat intake on the lower side so you can have that win-win. All right, let me throw some numbers at you, uh, and we'll start with fat here. Um, this is from a 2007 study. I wish I could have found some data like this that was a little bit more recent, but I found these numbers to be fascinating from 2007. And it found that the average American is eating about 80 grams of fat in total per day. And then you get into the breakdown of it. 26 grams saturated, 30 were monounsaturated, 16 polyunsaturated, and five were trans fat. So you hear 26 grams of that 80 total being saturated fat. Um, is that number too high? You're talking about less than half. So you're roughly at about a third there. Is that still too high in your opinion? Yeah, I think that's I think that's too high. In part, that the top number, like eighty, that's super high. So you know, like like a third of twenty. Okay, that's not so bad. But a third of eighty, wow, that's a lot. And that's really aligned with an interesting, a super interesting study from twenty twenty one, where they looked at they looked at the time life's healthy seven or life simple seven from the american heart association it's now life's healthy eight or simple eight i forget now uh sleep is one of those that's the new one that's added to be number eight but what they were one of them is diet of course and they were trying to estimate as part of this study like how we did as a society in terms of a healthy diet like i'm sure your listeners can guess we didn't do all that well but <laughs> the way they defined it with a healthy diet and i can get into that but so an ideal dietary pattern through their definition 0.7 percent of the u.s had an ideal dietary pattern i mean it's like ludicrously low mm. and well who cares right so in this study they estimated that if everybody achieved their definition of an ideal diet for just one year it would lower cardiovascular event rates by a little more than 40%. So it matters a lot. So when you're telling me people that are eating 80 grams of fat or whatever from that 2007 study and a third of that is saturated fat, that seems totally aligned with the more recent study that looked at slightly different things uh, uh, where 0.7% of the U.S. had an ideal dietary pattern. And the way they defined it was um, the you had to have four or five of the following to be considered ideal. So it was low salt consumption along the lines of what you we were just talking about. And I forgot the cutoff, but the article was in the journal. Of the, it was either in circulation of the Journal of the American College of Cardiology in 2021 and Dr. Don Lloyd-Jones is one of the co-authors on it. I believe it was in June. And uh, so it was low salt, uh, low sugar-sweetened beverages. Okay, not a surprise. Like about three and a half or so servings of whole grains, healthy carbs each day, four or five servings of fruits and vegetables each day, and a couple of servings of fatty fish. Or maybe it was one serving of fish a day. I forgot exactly. But if you had four or five of those, they define that as an ideal dietary pattern. Um, and like we didn't come this, as a society within a mile of that. Uh, so what you're telling me about the high fat consumption is not 
uh, much of a curveball. <laughs> and what you're telling me as far as not coming within a mile is not much of a curveball on this end either. Um, and we will do our best, by the way, if you want to take a look at the uh, article Dr. Osfeld was referencing. We'll dig that up and we'll put a link to it right now in the show description or in the episode notes. Um, that's really interesting there that they, they defined uh, the ideal diet quite like that. Um, and then they included fish. What is your take on fish in terms of heart health? That can be a controversial one um, in a lot of circles. Obviously, the big claim there, I believe, would be the omega-3s. There are uh, plant-based sources of them. But in terms of heart health, uh, what is your take on including fish in the diet? Well, I'll, I'll give you the, the where sort of what the, the party line is, and I'll give you my thoughts on it. Uh, so the American College of Cardiology and the American Heart Association and the American Society of Preventive Cardiology all recommend modest amount of fish intake as part of a healthy dietary pattern. Now in their, but what they also recommend is predominantly a plant-based diet. And to be honest, if the US all just adopted what the American Heart Association, the American College of Cardiology is recommending, it would be so exponentially more healthful than how we're currently eating. It would be phenomenal. It would completely bend the curve in terms of health and other things. Um, so the, uh, but they do recommend some fish, but lots of fruits, vegetables, whole grains, beans, lentils, stuff that listeners here are very familiar with. The reason that they recommend those things is because the largest amount of data in terms of dietary studies of randomized studies, they really rely a lot on randomized controlled trials because those are typically have the strongest kind of evidence and have less bias in them. Clearly, you can find fault with lots of studies, including randomized ones. No studies perfect, but those felt to be the strongest kind of data. So there's mostly data with a Mediterranean style dietary pattern. And in those studies, like uh, the Leon heart study, like the PrediMed, uh, multiple other ones, um, that uh, they all incorporate some degree of fish. Uh, so they're typically a Mediterranean style dietary pattern with fruits, vegetables, whole grains, beans, lentils, and some fish versus more of a typical Western style diet. And they basically all show by some measure or another that the Mediterranean style dietary pattern, which is much more plant-based, is uh, healthful. And interestingly, uh, is more healthful. They do better with the Mediterranean style diet compared to the, the Western style dietary pattern. And they'll typically, in some of these articles, call the Western diet, they'll, they'll make some effort to make it not horrendous, and they'll call it, they'll call it low fat. Right. So but then if you look at the, the supplemental tables, it's usually like around 32, 33 percent fat, a good bit of that saturated fat. So it's not really low fat along the lines of what you were mentioning earlier, although. Um, uh, so there's a good bit of saturated fat still. But so that's where and fish is part of that. So that's where that recommendation comes from. Um, and so they're trying to be as evidence-based as possible. So it's not unreasonable. And I know that PCRM has done a wonderful study looking at a plant-based diet versus a Mediterranean-style diet and looking at multiple surrogate endpoints of health. 
and I say surrogate, that really means like not hard outcomes like heart attack, stroke, death, but looking at things like blood pressure, cholesterol. And as I recall, in the plant-based arm in this PCRM study where they compared a Mediterranean-style diet to a, um, a plant-based diet, cholesterol fell more in the plant-based diet. Uh, I think diabetes, uh, met metrics of diabetes improved more. Blood pressure fell. Uh, people lost significantly more weight in the plant-based arm. Blood pressure fell in both arms, although more in the Mediterranean arm. So some metrics improved in a plant-based arm versus a Mediterranean arm. Um, if you look at, there's a wonderful prospective cohort study by Dr. Song where um, they took about 200,000 people with 3.5 million years of follow-up. This was JAMA Internal Medicine in like 2016. Um, and they asked, these are people with one risk factor for cardiovascular disease. And they asked if you replace just 3%, 3% of your calories from various animal sources of protein with 3% of calories from plant-based protein, is that good? Is it not good? Like what happens? Well, it turns out it was good to replace 3% of your calories from animal-based protein with 3% of calories from plant-based protein, but they had so much data, they could break it down by type of animal protein. So no matter how you sliced or diced it, whether it was processed meat, red meat, chicken, fish, um, replacing 3% of any of those with 3% of plant-based protein, they all did better to differing degrees. And the fish, as I recall, was, uh, there was a 6% reduction in the uh, endpoint of, of cardiovascular disease. I, I think they included heart attack, stroke, cardiovascular death. I think that was their primary endpoint, but it was a significant reduction, just replacing 3%. Um, and then, of course, there's the wonderful randomized trial by PCRM's uh, group. And um, there is some data out of the Seventh-day Adventists where um, a plant or vegan diet would at least on cross-sectional analyses has less um, diabetes, lower weight, um, but other metrics have shown to be improved with uh, including fish. So it, the reason that they have the fish in the data is we need more big randomized trials with outcomes like heart attack, stroke, death. If we had that uh, and with benefit from uh, no fish at all, I'm sure guidelines would change. Um, but that's where it's coming from. But if you read the text of the guidelines, they will outline some of this data that supports not having fish. And of course, and the Association of Nutrition and Dietetics, that's the organization. It's kind of like the American College of Cardiology, but for dietitians, they have a statement that says a plant-based diet, meaning no animals uh, protein, can be healthful throughout the life cycle. So it's certainly endorsed, it's well-planned. So it's certainly endorsed by, and the Association of, of Nutritionists and Dietetics, and they do in the American College of Cardiology and American Heart Association guidelines, they do uh, share some data about how not having fish may be helpful, but that's where the guidelines stand. Personally, um, I do encourage my patients to not have fish um, I think you can get omega-3s in, in other ways. And I don't think that uh, you would, uh, I don't think you need the fish to have optimal cardiovascular outcomes. I lean on some of this 
uh, other not as powerful data as the as the say PREDIMED or the Leon Heart study, but those are, are of course a Mediterranean versus a, um, a typical Western style diet. It's not versus a plant-based diet. And if you look at multiple epidemiologic studies, other randomized trials um, with other surrogate endpoints like the DASH studies with high blood pressure, the more plant-based you go, the better overall you do. Um, mm. So, I, uh, so I encourage my patients to not have fish. And to be honest, when I'm, I, I, we now just opened up an office uh, in, in Manhattan and I've been here in the Bronx for I don't know, almost two decades now. And sometimes when I have a patient come in, I mention a plant-based diet, they look at me from, like I'm from Mars. They've <laughs> never heard of this stuff. So uh, that's happening less and less now, but certainly over the years happened a lot. So if my patient goes from a junk Western diet to eating a few more vegetables, fruits, whole grains, and they need to keep fishing so that they'll do it. I'm like, fine. Like, I don't want my sense of perfection to be the enemy of good. I'm trying to get them to improve their health. And every step in that direction matters. Like, you know, like that study showed you replace just 3% with, of animal protein with 3% of plant-based protein, you're doing better. So I'll take it. I'll take that win because um, I know it's going to help improve their health. And I'll, you know, if I can encourage them to go further, that would be even better. So I encourage my patients to not have uh, fish, but you know, I'll, I'll take what I can get. It's kind of like a, a stepping stone in the right direction, right? So it's better than what you had been eating, but you could still do a little bit better. That's basically yeah. the, the compact way of breaking everything down there. Absolutely right. Yeah. Every little bit counts. Let's uh, take a question from Bert. I think that this is an interesting one when we're talking about different types of fat. We were talking about omega-3s there specifically with fish, but Bert is wondering how the different types of fat that we eat affect our arteries and risk for heart disease differently. So we've got saturated, we've got uh, monounsaturated, we've got trans, we've got all different kinds. How do they affect the heart differently? Well, um, so saturated fat can uh, worsen um, endothelial function. It can raise um, LDL cholesterol. Both of these things are not the friends of your blood vessels. Uh, so multiple guidelines recommend having a low amount of saturated fat. And I'm certainly fully aligned with that. Um, the omega-3 fats like EPA and DHA, um, those are, uh, are very important, we know, for brain health and brain development. Um, whether they're beneficial for cardiovascular health specifically is, some, is an area of controversy. There's been a couple of big randomized trials lately. The most famous probably is the REDUCE-IT trial, where they added purified EPA to a statin uh, in a pill form uh, and versus a statin alone. And those patients, they did seem to do better, uh, but it wasn't clear if it was because the placebo arm, they used corn oil and that may have had detrimental effects because of some of the saturated fat and other aspects of it. And then another similarly designed randomized trial with another type of purified EPA didn't have any benefit. Um, and a study out of Japan called Jealous showed some benefit with omega-3. 
on cardiac health. So I, right now, I think the consensus is, from a cardiac perspective, we're really not recommending adding the purified uh, uh, EPA or, or omega-3 pill outside of some hyper-specific situations, like someone has really, really high triglycerides for all kinds of reasons that can be uh, dangerous. So, um, but we do think that they are healthful for neurologic development and getting them through um, hemp seeds, chia seeds, ground flaxseed meal can be terrific because those will have other benefits for you as well. Um, but when you get them in that form, you will typically have, um, uh, it's typically ALA, alpha-linolenic acid, that your body can then convert to the other forms, DHA, EPA. And not everybody converts that super well. So what I'll do with, with my patients is that I encourage them to have the, D, the uh, hemp seeds, chia seeds, or ground flaxseed meal. But I'll also belt and suspender that by recommending that they have a, an algae-based omega-3 uh, tablet just so that I can feel confident that they're getting what they need for, for their cognitive benefit. Um, and so, but there's more controversy about poly and monounsaturated fats um, and that, you know, those may increase uh, uh, LDL, particularly poly may increase LDL receptors, have some anti-inflammatory components to them. So I don't, I, I, I don't think eliminating them completely from the diet is optimal. Um, and having them in whole food forms is great, like, uh, you know, avocados, nuts, seeds. Um, I think that that's terrific. Um, and I think the data on the whole for more of the poly and monounsaturated fats is that a little bit is okay uh, and actually healthful and eliminating all of that is not, is not your friend. So this is an interesting one then. I was shopping over the weekend. I don't want to hold the pack up um, and give out a free advertisement, but it's kale chips, uh, organic kale chips, zesty nacho. And you flip it over and you think it's relatively healthy. They, they don't have any added oil. I'll, I'll read off this list of ingredients before I give you the nutrition facts. And then I would love to get your opinion on whether or not these are actually heart healthy. So of course, kale chips, you've got kale, then organic sunflower seeds, tahini, then you've got onion, red bell peppers, apple cider vinegar, cane sugar, carrots, sea salt, garlic, lemon juice, and a little bit of chipotle powder for a kick. Now, one a one-ounce serving of this, which would be half of the bag that they typically come in, a one-ounce serving would have 12 grams of total fat, which is about 15% of what you should be getting in a day, and then one and a half grams of saturated fat. To me, that sounds like a whole lot of fat for just a single one ounce serving of any kind of snack. We're talking about kale chips though, right? I, I think that the vast majority of people would see kale chips on the store shelves and they say, well, hot diggity, I got myself a healthy snack. Is that still too much fat? What do, what do you think? That seems like a lot of fat in one, like half a bag, which is probably like a little handful. Um, it does seem like, look, that's going to rack up the calories. Mm -hmm. um, but it does seem like it's a low saturated fat, amount of saturated fat. I think it was like one and a half grams of saturated fat with but 13 grams of total fat, something like that. Yeah, and thereabouts. So that, that seems like, that doesn't seem like a, t a terrible ratio 
um, with your, so it's optimizing more healthful fats. And I mean, it's got a lot of, I think it was sunflower seeds in it or sesame and tahini. So I think it's going to have um, a reasonable, um, there, it's going to be skewed to more healthful fats, but you're right. It's a lot of fat. It's a lot of calories. Uh, so I, I would be uh, careful um, about that. I think as a treat, as a random occasional treat, it's no big deal. I mean, compare that to, say, ice cream, a pint of ice cream. I'm assuming you would lean toward the kale chips 10 days out of 10. 20 out of 10. You're 100% <laughs> ready. <laughs> All right. All right. On the same aisle, let's switch over and talk a little bit about salt here. On the same aisle was um, an organic soup, low in fat, definitely being marketed as healthy. But then you scroll down, only one and a half grams of fat for um, half of the can. So you're talking just a trivial amount. None of that fat is saturated, but you get to the sodium and holy jeepers, 720 milligrams for half the can. You eat the whole can, you're talking about 1,200 milligrams of sodium still being marketed as heart healthy. Matter of fact, they slapped a heart icon on the label. So 1200 milligrams, even though it's low in fat, even though we're talking about vegetables, even though it's relatively low in calories as well, only 130 for the entire can. As a cardiologist, would you give this a thumbs up or a thumbs down? I would give it a thumbs down. Um, and the, I mean, I'm just, I feel like I'm retaining water right now. Just <laughs> But so that's a lot of sodium. And I mean, we talked before that there's a sweet spot. There's probably a little bit of sodium in your day is good. Um, exactly the right amount is not entirely clear, but I think it's certainly less than like maybe two and a half. Two, it's, I, don't, I don't honestly know the exact cutoff. Um, but that's like, first of all, who has half a can of soup, right? Like, well, maybe you don't. But like, so, but that's, a, that's one thing of your whole day that's a that's a lot of sodium for like just probably a portion of one meal uh, so you have to be pretty careful um, about you know thinking about your sodium intake over the course of the day because you know you could be getting fooled with multiple other uh, items like i'm sure those kale chips probably had a lot of sodium too so if you're having a snack of what you think is healthy kale chips um which did have some healthy aspects to it as well. But the soup, you know, it adds up real fast. Yeah. I think that a lot of us have blinders on to the nutrition label, especially when you, you know, you pull it up and like right on the front, it's talking about it being low fat and automatically, oh, low fat. The rest of it has to be healthy for me as well. I don't think that the typical consumer is going to flip it over and actually scrutinize the nutrition label, especially when you look at the size of the font for sodium is so much smaller t when compared to the calories, which is big, bold, in-your-face print, which is only 130 for the entire can, which is definitely a low-calorie food. But yeah, man, then you get into the sodium, and it's like, holy jeepers. Which brings us to a question from Daquan, which I think is a brilliant one, hoping you can take us inside the body and spell this one out for us. Daquan is wondering, how will you know if your body is not getting enough sodium let's say that that's the nutrient that you're really hyper focused on maybe you've been diagnosed with hypertension the doctor has told you man you got to bring that sodium content down how low is too low what's the threshold there so um i don't know a numeric cutoff but certainly when people are eating less than a gram or maybe a gram and a half a day i think people would start to think that's pretty low but 
how would you know? Like you wouldn't, like so you eat a gram, so you eat seven grams, you feel exactly the same, perhaps you feel exactly the same way. You wouldn't physically know uh, in your body because we call high blood pressure the silent killer because it can kill you, but you don't feel it. Um, so the, uh, but, but too low, a, a, a symptom of that, which is nonspecific, and it can be for many things, is lightheadedness. Um, and that would be because you've lowered your sodium so much, you may have lowered your blood pressure, done such a good job at lowering your blood pressure uh, that uh, you're dizzy or lightheaded. And I've, so along the spectrum, I've certainly had patients who have high blood pressure, they're on multiple blood pressure pills, they go more plant-based, then I'll get a call like in two weeks, like, hey doc, I'm lightheaded. Okay, and that's of course because they've made themselves so much healthier, they don't need as many high blood pressure pills. So we'll begin to pull that off. But let's say you've already, now you're off all blood pressure pills or you, know, you weren't on them in the first place and you're going low sodium, but you're really starting to feel lightheaded. So that's, it's, that, it's nonspecific. That could be from a number of reasons, but one of them could be you're just getting such low amount of sodium that your blood pressure just may be too low for you. So that would be the symptom that I would be, you know, keying in on uh, to see if that may possibly be the case, but knowing that you should, you know, see your doctor about it because it could be all kinds of things can make you lightheaded. Kind of along those same lines, Sam is wondering, going back to fat for a second, whether it's possible to eat too little fat in your diet. Again, it's one of those words that's really hammered home to, to somebody. It's like, you got to eat less fat, less fat, less fat, less fat. So how much is kind of too little as opposed to too much, which we talk about a lot? Let's look at the opposite end. Yeah, I mean, I've never been, oh, I shouldn't say never, but like, it would be, no one's ever asked me that question before. <laughs> so divorce from the reality of our society so i don't honestly know what the there's got to be some minimums like and i would look at in and the association for nutritionists and dietetics what they recommend in the in their lower range uh, but you do certainly need some it helps with nutrient absorption it's you know part of various membranes in your cells uh and so uh, you do need some uh even people who advocate a low-fat diet they're advocating somewhere between like 11 and 13% fat. I don't know if it words in their mouth. I think Dr. Ornish's low-fat diet was around 13% or so. Um, that could, could be off by a couple of percentage points. So it's not, no, I don't know anyone is advocating no fat. Um, it's just, it's, it's, so, uh, but I don't know the specific uh, cutoff. No problem. Just an interesting question there. I, I, like you said, doesn't get talked about practically ever. Uh, so just figured we'd throw it out there. Um, let's go back inside the body. Take an interesting question right now from Timmy, who was wondering um, about something that they were told. They said, I heard that eating a lot of salt can actually stiffen up your arteries. Is there any truth to that? There is some. It can worsen endothelial function. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, and so if you have one meal like that, uh, it can, um, you know, it can stiffen the, the blood vessels briefly, and that's, you know, it can make the endothelial cells maybe a little less able to secrete nitric oxide in the short term, but, um, you know, that will fade away after a few hours. So if it's one meal that is super high in sodium, that you're having a treat at some reunion or something, and you don't, 
you don't have like crippling angina or heart failure, uh, then, uh, you know, your body would likely be able to absorb that without too much of an issue. But long term, that can remodel things in quite a negative way if you continue to have a, a significantly higher sodium load. So, yeah, it may, be a, may make the blood vessels less able to make nitric oxide, dilate less well, stiffen them transiently, but with repeated trauma may lead to more lasting uh, damage. And uh, I had an interesting conversation recently with a couple of friends of mine uh, that go by the Doc and Chef, Dr. Jim Loomis, who I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with, and uh, Karen Dugan, who runs the Center for Plant-Based Living out in St. Louis. And what they were talking about was the various forms of salt that are out there. I mean, you go down the salt aisle, especially in an international grocery store, man, and you will see like dozens of different kinds of salt out there. And there's a belief that some are healthier than others. Strictly speaking, from a cardiovascular standpoint, is there any truth to the idea that one, in fact, is more heart healthy than another? Not really. Not that I'm aware of. I know that some people think like, you know, maybe uh, Himalayan sea salt or something like that may be more helpful. I'm not honestly, I mean, it's sodium chloride. I'm not honestly aware that there's any difference. One thing that I do like about more typical table salt if someone's adding a little bit is that it's got iodine in it. And iodine is a little tough to get or harder to get in a plant-based diet. So I'm happy if there's a little bit of, of iodine in it. So to be honest, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to be have my thinking revised about this if someone's got a good study to show me. I mean, I, I'm just wedded to getting people healthier, not to any particular type of salt. But there's sodium chloride, kind of very, very similar. Uh, I don't know of any study that shows they're meaningfully different. And I like the fact that there's iodine. So if somebody really wants to have the, you know, what they perceive as a healthier kind of salt, that's fine. I would just keep the levels low, like we talked about before. All right, let's see if we can grab two more really quickly with the time that we have remaining. Uh, switch things up a little bit here. A couple of wild cards to close us out. Number one, Mary is wondering how much benefit comes from walking just 20 minutes a day. She's ready to start making some strides toward a healthier future, but exercise is intimidating to her. She thinks that 20 minutes a day just to walk is where she wants to start. Can she get some cardio benefits from that? 100%. That is brilliant. Mary, you're a rock star. That is wonderful. I mean, there are any, there's so many studies of, of exercise that show that basically going from almost none or none to a modest, like walking some, like you want, like exactly like how you want to do, that's where the true amount of substantial benefit is seen, where you go from very little to a modest amount. Now, it, it's stepwise, and if you go, you know, there are people who, you know, want to ride a bike for hours a day, they're just great, they're unbelievable athletes and stuff. But, and so there is incremental benefit if you go from a moderate amount to a high amount and even more. So, but but the, 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 inc the incremental increases gets less and less. So the real sweet spot, if you're just talking about degree of cardiovascular benefit is exactly what you're doing. So you're hitting a home run. Good for you. All right. And let's wrap things up with this. Julie wrote in and said, I'm excited because the environmental working groups Dirty Dozen and Clean 15 are out for 2023. And she's wondering, Dr. Osfeld, whether you know of any connection between heart health and whether or not uh, specific produce is organic. Does it really matter when it comes to the ticker? 
You know, I'm not 100% sure. I'm not aware of any randomized trial that shows that, um, that there's a benefit for organic versus not organic. I can certainly, you know, appreciate the compelling reason, like you don't want to have pesticides and things like that. It's certainly compelling, but I'm not aware of any study that shows a cardiovascular outcome. Please feel free to send it to me if you've got one. Uh, cardiovascular outcome benefit with organic versus not. And one, one uh, nitric oxide scientist, a very serious nitric oxide scientist, actually told me that there may be uh, um, more nitric oxide benefit, uh, at least in their anecdotal experience in their lab, with not organic um, because it has more uh, nitrates. But um, that's speculation. So I honestly, uh, I'm, I can understand why it's compelling and you want to have diversity in, of, of all kinds of organisms and the detrimental effects of, of uh, pesticides throughout nature. Gotcha. But specifically from a cardiovascular standpoint, I'm not aware of any benefit. A very serious nitric oxide scientist. That person seems to be incredibly smart and somebody that is definitely worthy of a challenge or two on Jeopardy. Holy cow, man. That's amazing. Well, it's, I mean, I, I would, he, it's related to a study that I'm involved in. And, and uh, so I don't want to get into too many details, but like, basically he's like, it's actually good if they don't have uh, the organic um, greens because there, there may be less nitrates in there. You may not see the same kind of short-term endothelial function benefit. Fascinating. Fascinating. So but that's, you know, anecdotally uh, based. So it happened to do a study. I, I got you, man. But just, just on a career level that somebody would choose to be, as you said, quote, a very serious <laughs> nitric oxide scientist. I, I think that's like, that to me is like blowing my mind. Like how smart does a person have to be to be a nitric oxide scientist for goodness sakes? Like that to me is just incredible, man. Well, this guy's off the charts and a uh, wonderful guy, brilliant guy. And uh, so, but I, I don't want to, you know, go further because I don't want to put words in his mouth. And um, But uh, yeah, I mean, he's a, he's a brilliant guy. Yeah, we don't we don't have to talk about the study. You just tell this this mystery person that I'm impressed with their credentials. Title alone is just astounding to me. Very um, serious. <laughs> by, by the way, in case you're wondering about the Dirty Dozen for this year, I'll read them off to you, uh, the, the final 12, and we'll close with this. Strawberries, spinach, kale, collard greens, and mustard greens. Those are your top three. Uh, number four is peaches. Five would be pears. Number six, nectarines. Seven on the Dirty Dozen list is apples, followed at eight by grapes. Number nine, pepper fans. Here you go. Both bell and hot peppers fall into that category. Number 10, if you got a sweet tooth and you like cherries, that's on your Dirty Dozen list there. Number 11 at blueberries. And then number 12 this year, rounding things out, are green beans. And I'll post a link to that entire list for you right now in the episode notes as well, along with the Clean 15. Uh, a lot of stuff on that dirty dozen that I love. 
I absolutely adore basically everything that's on there. So uh, scrub them up and eat them and enjoy. That's the way that I say, my friend. I didn't realize my breakfast was so dirty this morning when I tossed blueberries <laughs> into my Oh, well. <laughs> oh, man. All right. So just to put a bow on the entire conversation today, Dr. Osfeld, salt versus fat. If somebody were to begin, and I'm just going to say begin because I think the important thing is here to really kind of focus on both and improving your diet overall. But if they were just to begin with looking at one or the other in terms of improving their cardiovascular health, where would you recommend they start? Well, I would uh, start with lowering saturated fat because I think that that would have longer term uh, benefit, but I'm certainly not pro eating a lot of salt. I mean, it's uh, hopefully it's not a zero sum game, you know? Um, and uh, so, yeah, I would vote for long term having lower saturated fat um, because that may help, you know, lower LDL cholesterol, less atherosclerosis. But high salt can give you high blood pressure, and that's not your friend either. So, hopefully, it's not a zero sum game. But if I was forced to pick one, it would be less saturated fat. Right. And, and again, that's just the start. I think with these two, what you've described today is you just can't take the reductionist view and focus on one without eventually or simultaneously even addressing the other. Kind of go hand in hand to really optimize your diet. Now, you tell me, sir, about these new offices that you have in Manhattan uh, across from uh, Monaghan train station. I mean, I got the opportunity uh, about a month ago to go up there and preview them for the grand opening. And holy cow, it looks like you can do a lot of good in there. Yeah, well, thank you so much. And we were so psyched to have you there. Uh, so Montefiore has uh, purchased or rented some space in Manhattan West, which is right next to Hudson Yards, right next to the uh, right around 33rd and 9th. Uh, and it is an unbelievably beautiful location. Um, and there's lots of really interesting surrounding stores as well and a beautiful courtyard. It's really quite remarkable. And so we have started, just opened two weeks ago, a cardiac, our, we brought our cardiac wellness program down there where we now offer plant-based cardiology in Manhattan. Um, so, uh, we're very excited about that. I'm not aware that there, unfortunately, I'm not aware that there's too much plant-based cardiology, you know, most anywhere, but certainly in Manhattan as well, not too much there. So uh, we're happy to bring it there. I'm there on most Thursdays now, and we just started, so we've got a lot of openings. Um, and the Montefiore is about to do marketing for it, so I suspect things may start to fill up. But the phone number is 212 324-4222, if you want to call for an appointment. And I'm going to start to do some stuff on social media to you know, bring attention to the clinic as well, because we are jam-packed here up in the Bronx, which is wonderful because we get to bring plant-based nutrition here. But now we'll be able to bring it down there. And the clinic is going to expand. There's orthopedics there. There's going to be primary care. There's going to be GYN. They may not all be plant-based, but I'll have a chance to, to uh, get in all of their ears to hopefully bend the curve in that direction. And you know what I, I absolutely adored about the location? And it is gorgeous. I mean, you're right down there by the garden, but then this this space that, that was just built up is absolutely lovely. Um, number one, as a sports fan, the NHL headquarters are right there, which I thought is just the coolest thing in the world. But more importantly to the conversation that you and I are having today, 
is essentially you can give somebody this prescription for a healthier diet. They can go right downstairs, hang that left out the door, and within 50 yards or so, be walking inside of a Whole Foods grocery store where they can go and immediately start putting into practice the things that the two of you will have just talked about during their appointment. I mean, I can't think of a better location for you guys. I mean that from the bottom of my heart, not just from the equipment that you guys have in there is state of the art, but then just to be able to walk out right there and put everything into practice immediately, I think can be a game changer for somebody's health. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. And thank you so much for really, honestly, we're quite proud of it. It's, it's so lovely and I can't take credit for that, but it's so lovely. And the staff there, they're so friendly and so excited to have people come in and so excited to see the health turnarounds. And yeah, I mean, Whole Foods is right there. I could peg it with a baseball or a hockey puck. Um, and so it really makes it easy. And then when Mary, after she starts cranking through her 20-minute walks, there's the Peloton headquarters right next to Whole Foods. So she could go do some Peloton class. I mean, it's really... Uh, it's tremendous, that, that location. I mean, it, it really is. It's the total package. It's a game changer, and I highly recommend it. We'll put a link uh, to, um, to the website, and, of course, the phone number is also going to be in the episode notes here for you as well. And I uh, can't let you go without talking about July 12th as well, my friend. You and I have a big date along with Dr. Neil Barnard and Rip Esselstyn and maybe – one more special guest still to come, but uh, we are billing the exam room live and in person that night as the most heart-healthy night of your life. And my friend, I can't think of a better representative of heart health than you. So it truly is an honor to be sharing the stage with you that night. Oh, well, thank you. I am so honored to be a part of it. I'm really excited. And I love hanging out with Rip Esselstyn because it always motivates me to like try to do that extra pull-up or extra push-up or whatever. Uh, and uh, so I, I know it's going to be a lot of fun. And, you know, Dr. Esselstyn, his dad was really, and really his whole family, they've been my, my friends, my mentors for many, many years. And uh, so it's, I'm so excited to share the stage with you, with Dr. Barnard, with, uh, with Rip Esselstyn. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm really excited about it. I'm I'm so excited too and and the energy in the room when we did a show out in LA earlier this year was off the charts and I'm expecting nothing less in New York especially with the caliber of guests that are coming yourself included um, it's just going to be absolutely extraordinary so pcrm.org slash events you see that right now scrolling across the bottom of your screen that's where you go to get your tickets or if you want to be a little bit lazy no problem we've got you with the link in the show description below as well man um, let's Let's just do this thing July 12th. It's fantastic. Congratulations on the opening of the new offices. Total game changer. And my friend, you have a standing invitation to come back anytime on the show, man. I love having you here. Well, thank you. It's always a lot of fun. It's definitely the highlight of, of my day, if not week. And I know that July 12th is going to be the highlight of the, of the year for me. You are the man. Dr. Robert Osfeld on the exam room live. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. Here's a little trivia for you, a little did you know. Did you know that on average, Americans eat about 3,400 milligrams of sodium every single day? 3,400, but the dietary guidelines call for a limit of 2,300. So we're blowing well past that. Well, well, well past that. 
And I'll tell you, the one consensus that it seems every doctor and dietitian can agree upon is this. Even in this highly contentious debate arena that is health science. While certainly today we learned that there is a lot to consider in the salt and fat conversation, there is no questioning that there is way too much salt in the majority of food that the majority of us are eating. And as we learned today, it's not just the junk food or the meals that we get when we go out to eat. I mean, look at the labels of the foods that are being marketed as healthy. Think about the can of soup we were talking about. It's like a bag of salt, or in this case, a can of salt that just happens to have a little bit of broth and a few vegetables sprinkled in. I don't care how that thing is marketed or what the front of the can says. You can slap as many heart emojis on there as you want, but it's not going to do your heart any favors when there is that much salt in there. And from the fat perspective, the kale chips, Dr. Osfeld and I were talking about, super high in fat. You wouldn't think kale is a high fat food and kale by itself is not. It's what you do to the kale and those kale chips that really kicks it up a notch. And with those kale chips, I mean, there are other brands that have way less fat, way less salt. You just have to take the time to flip the package over and look at the nutrition label. Look at the nutrition label, look at the ingredients. Raise your health IQ. You will be surprised at how much you can learn with just a three second glance. It's unbelievable. And then pass that tip on to other people in your life. If you're listening to this show, if you're an exam roomie, odds are you're really well versed in nutrition. And there's a pretty good chance that you already are really trained to look at your nutrition labels. But talk to other people in your life that you love. Help them raise their health IQ as well. It's one of the easiest things that we can do to really educate ourselves about the food that we are eating. But I'll tell you this much, if you really, really want to be as heart healthy as possible, you can have all the control over the fat and the salt that you could possibly ever want just by making your meals at home. I mean, the amount of power that is found in your kitchen is truly unparalleled. So exercise that control, seize that power, take control of your health. And one more thing about fat, one more thing that I want to share with you. Some new findings that were just released. This is a meta-analysis that was published in the European Heart Journal. And for this one, researchers combed through over four decades of previously published findings to see what effect a plant-based diet had on blood lipids, or what you and I would call cholesterol. So what they found was almost 500 previously published studies on this, and then they whittled them down to meet their criteria. They whittled those 500 all the way down to 30 high quality randomized control trials to get the strongest possible data for this analysis. So of these 30 studies, which ranged from 1982 all the way up to 2022, they confirm that what you eat has a tremendous impact on your cholesterol and that a vegan or vegetarian diet can have remarkable success in preventing high cholesterol, which by the way, is a hallmark of heart disease. 
And researchers also pointed out from an environmental standpoint that if high income countries like the US or over in the UK, if they were to switch to a vegan diet exclusively, well then poof, overnight, they could reduce net emissions of greenhouse gases by 50%. Slash it right in half. That's a big drop. So they write in conclusion, quote, plant-based diets are thus key instruments for changing food production to more sustainable forms while at the same time reducing the growing burden of cardiovascular disease. And I've dropped a link for you to that study in the episode notes if you are so inclined to give it a read. Coming up on the next episode of The Exam Room, we are going to be joined by best-selling author Ashley Madden, who's going to be joining us for the very first time. Her new cookbook, Plant-Based Delicious, coming very soon, and I am already craving a lot of the recipes that she has in there. I got my hands on a copy, and oh my goodness gracious, so good, so good. So all of the recipes in the cookbook, by the way, are gluten-free and oil-free as well. So giddy up, we're getting into some good eats with a first-time guest in Ashley Madden on the next show. And then we are going to be welcoming back an old friend, Dr. Will Bolsowitz, the gut health MD, on the next episode of The Exam Room Live. So join us for that next Wednesday, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on YouTube and on Facebook as we get ourselves a gut health checkup. But for today, that is going to wrap things up. I want to say thank you one more time to the incredible Dr. Robert Osfeld, cardiologist extraordinaire for being here, bringing the energy, bringing the inspiration, bringing the knowledge, and delving into the debate of salt versus fat as we raise our health IQs. And for everyone at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, as always... Keep it plant-based.